Thanks, Russ. Uh, again, it's uh, great being here for my final time here at your at your chapel. I, I failed to introduce yesterday someone that I brought, so I brought three other men today, and I thought I better not fail to introduce them. So before uh, I get started in, in sharing and teaching you, I wanted to introduce three men that I brought with me from from uh, uh, Heights Church. And as I call their name, if they could stand up, okay? On the far end here is Richard Johnson. Uh, Richard is uh, an elder at our church, uh, just grown to love this dear man. He's part of the, uh, we have a committee called the Karen Concern Committee, and uh, he is actively involved in that. And then second is Len Wozniak. Len is from a Russian background. Len, can you say John 3.16 in Russian? Can you do that? You want to hear it? I I don't know if I've ever heard that. Say, or any verse. (laughs) Okay, that's great. (laughs) So you get a little culture in your chapel. You get an Armenian speaking to you, a Russian, and okay. And then next is Skip Sher. Skip is uh, Skip attends uh, Talbot, and he taught at Biola last year, and he's my golf teacher. So uh, thanks, Skip. All right. Skip is uh, part of a group we have at our church called, uh, they changed the names, but Young Urban Christians and, help me. <laughs> What's the name of the group? <laughs> Singles group. Wasn't there a long title? Oh, well, anyway, they're young, young, uh, young urban committed Christians involved in evangelistic service. They call themselves the yuckies, basically, is, is the idea there. Okay, but it's great having having these men with me. Well, we've had a good time. We have had a good time, right? Haven't we? Yes, we have. Good, good. <laughs> great. Thanks, thanks for that. What head clap? <laughs> and today we want to we want to conclude the time. No hand clapping in that statement, okay? As we look at uh, continue to look at the topic of of discipling, I I am so excited. Uh, as I as I've had a chance to interact with Russ and and catch some of his excitement, I don't think I've ever found a time when Russ wasn't excited. I think he came out of the womb excited. Uh, he's an enthusiastic young man. But just interacting with him and finding out what uh, what God is doing here and and what God is doing uh, in your lives, what God is doing in the local churches. You know, it's it's exciting to see that a discipling ministry and the impact that it can have in the city, in this country, and to see how God desires to use us and how God has raised up his means of seeing this world one, that being the church. I'd like you to turn, this is just a footnote, but I'd like you to turn to 1 Timothy 3 before we begin. 1 Timothy 3. And in saying, in saying this, I'm certainly not putting down parachurch organizations or whatever. I was involved in one. In fact, I'm going to talk about one a little later just to show you what, kind of give you a principle there. Um, they say they're, the, they're an arm of the church. I think God has, in a sense, used them to be a foot to the church, to kind of kick the church and get the church excited about the Great Commission mandate. But I want you to see what Paul said to Timothy to get your focus right. He talks about in chapter Chapter uh, 1, giving a statement really of his testimony. Then in chapter 2, he talks about prayer, prayers. He talks about the women. He talks about uh, teaching in the church. He talks in chapter 3 about elders. He talks about deacons and so on. 
And notice what he says in verse 14 of 1 Timothy 3. He says, I am writing these things to you, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I am delayed, I write so that you may know how one ought to conduct himself in the household of God. In other words, he says, I'm giving you these instructions because I want you to know how to conduct yourself in the household of God, which is the parachurch, uh, no, which is the church of the living God. And what is the church of the living God? It is the pillar and support of the truth. God's means, gang, is the church. God has raised up the church whereby ministries take place, whereby leaders are raised up, uh, where uh, you have the spiritual oversight of, of leaders, where you have the gifts of the body functioning. And I'll tell you, I really, I really missed a lot during my involvement in, in some groups because I wasn't plugged in to the totality of, I believe, what God was trying to do in this world, which is His church. And then when I got involved, and I got involved in a Bible study, which I'm going to talk about a little later, and I saw the gifts of the body working together, and I saw different people mobilized, and I saw love and care and discipling take place within the church, it was exciting. And so I'd encourage you, again, as we talk about a discipling ministry, to think in terms of the context of what God wants to see take place in the church group that you are, hopefully, now you're committed to, whatever church that might be. And it's so important, the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. And it's within that context that we do ministries. It's within that context that a pastor teacher equips and it's within that context that leadership is raised and within that context that we, we involve ourselves in ministries and we become discipled and we look for godly examples and, and uh, we allow ourselves to be trained and equipped and sent out by, by the church. This morning I want to, I want to look at the topic of a reproduction ministry. And this is an exciting, exciting topic. When someone shared these thoughts with me a while ago, I, got, I really did get excited. And I said, this is what I want to commit myself to the rest of my life. I want to begin, though, by putting the uh, definition that's kind of been a, the working definition for us on discipling, and I'll just repeat it once. Discipling others is the process by which a Christian with a life worth emulating commits himself for an extended period of time to a few individuals who have been won to Christ, the purpose being to aid and guide their growth to maturity and equip them to reproduce themselves in a third spiritual generation. And one facet of the definition I wanna, want to look at is, is the concept right there, the last three lines, equip them to reproduce themselves in a third spiritual generation. People, I believe that what God wants all of us to be is a multiplier. Let me show you what a multiplier is. Nothing really new if we know that definition, but here's my definition. A multiplier is a person who is committed to the task of reproducing his life in someone else, who in turn will reproduce himself in a third spiritual generation. That's what a multiplier is. You're committed to the task of reproducing your life in someone else who in turn will reproduce himself in a third spiritual generation. Let me show you what it looks like, okay? I'll uh, put this on a little later. 
Here's a picture of it. Here you have you. That's you. You're committed to the task of reproducing your life into someone else. That really should be the Lord's disciple. I really don't like your disciple. It really should be the Lord's disciple. Who in turn then will reproduce their life in someone else. That's a picture of it. That's a principle of reproduction, of multiplying yourself. Let me give you some biblical examples. Turn to 2 Timothy 2.2. 2 Timothy 2.2. In 2 Timothy 2.2, you have this picture. Notice what Paul says. Let me read it. And the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, Timothy, I want you now to take what I'm doing in your life and entrust it. Place it as a deposit in the lives of faithful men who then will be able to teach others also. Men and women, there you have a four generational there, four generations of ministry. Paul, Timothy, faithful men, others, a reproduction ministry. You see the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 to 8. Don't turn there. 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 to 8, where you have Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. And there they were transferring their life to the Thessalonians. And then it says in, in that text, in 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 to 8, it says, The word of God has sounded forth. The idea there is it's trumpeted out. So that now there are believers in Macedonia and Achaia because of the Thessalonians who were affected by Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy. Reproduction. Another example is, is in the life of uh, Jesus. If you combine two texts, Matthew 28 and Acts 8, you have Jesus transferring his life to the disciples. As they preached, a young man, Philip, came to know the Lord. He then, in Acts 8, was uh, uh, to preach the gospel to the Ethiopian. And Christian uh, church tradition tells us that the Ethiopian was responsible for the establishment of the African church. A multi-generational ministry. It's exciting. You know, one remarkable example of this is found, as I mentioned earlier, I talk about a, a group, parachurch group, who has, uh, I know, stimulated a lot of churches, stimulated me to think about this whole discipling ministry and then as I got involved in the church, I was able to, to really uh, see God blossom it in ministry there in the local church. But one remarkable example of this ministry is, is in the uh, story of Dawson Trotman, found, founder of Navigators with Les Spencer. Dawson led him to the Lord, Les Spencer to the Lord. And then after teaching Les for a while, Les led a guy to the Lord by the name of Gurney Harris. And then Les brought Gurney to Dawson and said, Dawson, I want you now to do in Gurney's life what you did in my life. And Dawson said, I'm not going to teach him, you teach him. And Les said, I'm not going to teach him, you teach him. And Dawson said, no, I'm not going to teach him, you teach him. And Les said, I know, we'll get Mikey to do it. <laughs> so anyway, so, uh, so Les then said, okay, Dawson said, if, if you can't do in his life what I did in your life, I failed. So Les said, okay, I'll do it. So then Les started building into the life of Gurney Harris. And then it just started multiplying and exploding and exploding. The process continued until on that one shift, there were 125 men meeting every week for prayer and Bible study. 
Those men then went to other ships and other bases. In the height of World War II, there were these groups of believers started by these men in over 1,000 ships and naval bases all over the world. You know what happened? The FBI looked at all these groups started forming, and they said, what's going on here? There's no charter. What's going on? Has it? And they began to investigate. They went to one guy, and they said, okay, Mike, how did this group get started? He goes, I don't know. I was just over there at that base, and Bill over there got it started. I was transferred over here, so I got my own group. Go talk to Bill. They went to Bill. Bill, how did this group get started? What's going on? What's the background? I don't know. I was over there at that base, and uh, Fred over there got me involved in the group, and then I was transferred here, and so I started my own group. Go talk to Fred. They kept doing that. You know, it took them three months to trace it back to Dawson Trotman. Multiplication. It explodes. I remember one example of a discipling ministry. I don't know if the mic can pick this up, but uh, just to show you the picture of it. Starts with a guy by the name of Cal. Great. You can thank you for increasing the volume there. He led his son, Jerry, to the Lord. Jerry then led a guy to the Lord by the name of Trey. Trey then discipled Ken. Ken then discipled Derwin. Derwin begat Bob. Bob begat Mark who then led a guy and discipled a guy by the name of Joe, and who knows where it is right now. Cal was the individual who led me to the Lord. I've had the opportunity of uh, discipling several men. Jerry uh, led a guy to the Lord by the name of uh, Mike, discipled him, who then discipled a guy by the name of Ralph. Some of you may know Ralph Drollinger. Jerry uh, has discipled other men. Ken was telling me that at one point in in his ministry, he could account for... 44 people who are extensions of his ministry in a discipling ministry. This is, it's just incredible. It's explosive once it gets started. And my purpose in, in sharing this with you is not to cater to your pride, but rather your vision of what God can do in your life. Your life. Think of the impact that can happen in, in your church, in your college group. As you look at the potential there, One life saying, Lord, use me. Let me show you the explosiveness of a multiplication ministry as you compare it to an addition kind of ministry. Suppose a father, let me give you this, let me give you this test here, okay? Suppose a father offers his two sons the choice of taking either one dollar per week for 52 weeks for his allowance, one dollar a week each week for 52 weeks, or one cent the first week, and then an amount each week for the next 51 weeks that's doubled the previous weeks. One cent the first week, two cents the second week, four cents the third, eight cents the fourth, then 16, 32. Which of the two choices should they choose? No, don't answer yet. Don't answer yet. Let me show you the two kinds of growth before you answer. First of all, there's what's called linear growth. Linear growth. This is the principle of addition. And this kind of growth, there's an increase by a constant amount at regular time intervals. In other words, an unchanging amount is added during a set time period. For example, you get a guy who... uh, Over here. There's that guy there. He adds $10 under his mattress every year. This is linear growth. $10 the first year, $10 the second, $10 the third, linear growth. 
Now, there's another kind of growth called exponential growth. And this is the principle of multiplication. In this growth, there's an increase by a constant percentage of the whole at regular intervals. In other words, the amount added isn't the same. It increases each year. For example, this guy takes his money and goes to Wells Fiasco Bank, right? Where they give 7% interest. Well, the amount added increases each year. Uh, a colony of yeast cells doubles every 10 minutes or whatever. Two becomes four, then four, eight, and so on. Now, which of the two kinds of growth, linear or exponential, causes the greater growth over a period of time? Exponential. Which of the two choices should the sons choose? The $1 a week or the one cent? One cent. Right. Well, in fact, let me show you what happens. At the 52nd week, if he chose $1, he'd just get $1 the 52nd week. That'd be his allowance. Just one dollar being added. If he chose the one cent the first week and then two cents the second, four, the third, and so on, his allowance, the 52nd week, would be $22,517,938,136,852.48. It's explosive, right? It's explosive. Let me take another example. Suppose you took a, you took a piece of paper any piece of paper, one one-thousandth of an inch thick, and you fold it over. Double the halves, right? And you kept doing it 50 times. Just 50 times you kept doing that. How high would the paper be if torn 50 times? Any guesses? Any guesses in yards? In miles? If torn 50 times, you might try this, it would approximately be 17 million miles. 17 million miles. Or suppose you, took a, suppose you took a grain on a checkerboard and you put one grain, the first square, then two, and then four, and then eight. How much wheat would there be by square, you can't see that, but I'll read it, by square 64? Enough wheat to cover India, 50 feet deep. Now, what's the point of all this? People, there are millions of Indians drowning in Wheaties. That's the problem. We've got to do something about it. We've got to go and rescue them. It was a toss-up as to whether I'd use that line or not. I, I used it at a pastor's conference I did at Cedarville a few weeks ago in, uh, in Ohio. And <laughs> no response. So I thought you'd respond. Thank you very much for building me up. I appreciate that. Okay, what's the point? Well, a multiplication process is explosive. In fact, let me give you an example. When you take a, if you were to take a, an evangelist and a discipler. And let's say the evangelist right there leads uh, a thousand people to the Lord every day. Every day. At the end of one year, there would be 365,000 converts. Well, let's say you had a discipler. Let's say you. You go back to your church group, you find one person to disciple, or you be discipled by one person. At the end of the year, there's you and there's a discipler, right? That doesn't look too good. Two. I say the evangelist keeps doing 1,000 people a day. At the end of uh, year two, there'd be 730,000. But let's say at the end of year two, you and the person that discipled you, now you two go out and you disciple someone else. At the end of the second year, there'll be four of you. Doesn't look too good. Let's say the process continues and it keeps going on and going on and going on. This is what the numbers look like. 
Okay. Now, if you notice, addition, adding, just converts, doesn't, uh, rather, multiplication, dividing and, and doubling, doesn't keep pace with addition initially. I mean, look at that, 524,000. It would take 19 years before the disciples uh, surpassed the one-year output of the, of the evangelist. But notice this. It would take uh, 150, what is that, 158 more years for the evangelist to exceed the discipler. The discipler reaches 67 million in year 26, the evangelist in year 184. When would this, these numbers encompass the world's population? Let's say it was 4 billion, it's about 4.5 billion. The discipler would reach the world by the year 2009. The evangelist would reach the world by the year 12,937. Not only this, not only faster, but in this column, you have people who are trained, who are equipped, who are ready to go and reproduce themselves. As opposed to here, you just have people who have been added to the church. You know, people, this really excites me when I think of the potential. When I was uh, in, a, in a college Bible study, and I was leading it at the time, Friday night Bible study, it was my goal to see everybody in that Bible study be part of a small group relationship, to be in a discipling relationship or a one-on-one and so I made it my goal to train a few people, to take a few people out of that and just train them in how to disciple. Went into all the facets of discipling. We met every week for a few months. And then I encouraged those people to look for people within, their, within the, the church, within the, the college Bible study there, within the college department. People they could disciple. And I trained them in how to challenge people to meet with them. Well, you know, things didn't happen all of a sudden. In fact, it was rather slow, rather slow. But then over a period of time, I saw these, these groups forming. And I saw lives being changed until at one point about 95% of the people within that Bible study were part of a discipling group. And it was exciting to see what God was doing. And to see what, what was happening in, in the people's lives and, and to see growth taking place, not just qualitative but quantitative. You know, someone has said that you really don't see the fruit of a discipling ministry for about two to four years. And that's really true. And the problem is some churches aren't willing to, to be patient enough to see that kind of ministry take place. I'm glad I was in a church that was patient enough to see a discipling ministry take place. Where you could build into the lives of the few, and then build into the lives of the few, and build into the lives of the few. And then it just kind of exploded. But it takes time. You know, it's easy sometimes to bring people into a church, but it's kind of hard to make them responsible members within it. And a discipling ministry does that, and that's, that's exciting. And what a, what a tremendous ministry it is to be able to pour your life into someone else. You know, my greatest desire, gang, is to be used by God to see this world changed. And my desire is to see him use the church to be the, the instrument. And my desire is to be involved. I, I, I want to have an impact. I don't want it written on my tombstone. Here lies Alan. He came. He stayed. He left. Uh, terrible. And, and I had to evaluate my life and my goals and ask myself the question, what am I doing that can ultimately have eternal impact? What, what, what am I doing, you know, that, that will have eternal consequences? And so I did a little study, and I came up with three realities that are eternal. God, Deuteronomy 33:27 says God is eternal. The Word of God, 
Isaiah 40, verse 8. God and the Word of God, the grass withers, flower fades, the Word of God, of our God, stands forever. And then people, God, the Word of God, and people. Everyone will live forever, some in Christ's presence, some separated from Him forever. John 5, 28 and 29. And so with those three things in mind, I came up with this statement that has been a challenge to me and kind of my philosophy of ministry. Thank the Lord for our new Macintosh computer in our church. It's great to do these things. Nothing motivates and challenges me more than to see people's eternal lives changed by the eternal word of God so that God's eternal life can be made manifest. Nothing motivates and challenges me more than to see people's eternal lives changed by the eternal word of God so that God's eternal life can be made manifest. What a thrill it is to be able to disciple men. To disciple them, not only, not only in the context of a formal discipling group where we go through material and we, and we uh, memorize verses and so on, but, but also in the context of ministry. Or they can just be with me and we can minister and function together. We can serve together. Those are some great times. And you need to find people where, where, that you can learn from, who can be an example, where you can minister together and you can watch them as they minister and as they serve and watch their life. Not just the formal lesson time, but also the informal times of serving together and, and your lives rubbing against each other and seeing how they respond to situations that take place. That's why I like to take men with me. My motto is never go alone. Do things with that individual. You need to find a church where there are ministries taking place, where you can be within that context of serving together and learning together and growing together. You know, I, I, had, to, I had to ask myself a question. Alan, when, when you are at the end of your life and you have nothing but death ahead of you and memories behind you, what would have to have taken place in your life for you to say that your life was a success, that you're satisfied. You know, when I'm at the end of my life and I have nothing but death ahead of me and memories behind me, what would have to have taken place in my life for me to say, I'm satisfied? It was a success in God's eyes. And that's a great question, isn't it, people? I don't think we're ready, ready to really live until we've answered that question. And we're certainly not ready to die until we've answered that question. And, I, and I, that, that's why I came up with this. Lord, I, I want to give myself to that which really matters, that which counts. I want you to use my life to affect people. And that's why I agree with Warren Webster, who was a missionary to Pakistan. He said, if I had my life to live over again, I would live it to change the lives of people. Because you haven't lived until you've changed the lives of people. I said, Lord, that's it. Whatever ministry I'm in, I want to reproduce my life into other men. And so at, at our church, in, in, in that context, I have a desire to, to spend time with the seminarians, the guys who go to Talbot there and train them from, in the ministry and talk about different aspects of the ministry, pouring my life into them so that they can understand the different aspects of the ministry, communion, baptism, what about weddings, what about funerals, and just train them in those areas, equip them in those areas. That's why I desire to see the church at, at some point. Um, have, a, have this discipling ministry where there's groups of accountability and the people are ministering together and it's taking place within that context. Because you haven't changed anything until you've changed the lives 
of people. That's what counts. Is that where you are? What a challenge to see people's lives change. Can I ask you a few questions? One is, have you found a church that you want to commit yourself to? Whose leadership you want to submit to? Second, have you gone to the leadership within that church or the group and say, hey, here I am, I'm available. Not, hey, I'm available to, uh, to teach your big Bible study or I'm available to teach on Sunday or I'm available. Hey, I'm available to set up chairs if that's what it means. Have you gone and have you, have you uh, third, have you gone and asked the, teach, asked the leaders, you know, I really desire to be discipled. Can you help me? I want to grow. I want to do it within this context. This is where God has called me. This is where I am in submission to the spiritual leadership. This is where my gifts, I, I want to see my gifts develop. This is God's means. This is what he has, he has chosen to use. Here I am. But I need to grow. I want to be in an accountability relationship. Have you done that? Maybe some here, you're ready to disciple. Have you looked at the people within the, the group that you're, you're with and in the church you're committed to and asked God to bring someone to you that you can disciple? And are you looking for people that you can serve with? People you can follow, people that you can minister with, people whose lives you, you, can, you can observe, not just in a, in a classroom setting, but in, in the formal kind of teaching thing, but also in the ministry where you can do things together and watch them serve and see how they respond. And a group that's active, that's going somewhere, that has goals, that has the lives just touching each other. Are you involved in a group like that? People, it's my prayer that come June, if I were to ask Russ, hey, Russ, how's the student body? How are they doing? He could say, Alan, it's fantastic. They're committed. They're, they, they, they're committed to the local church. They're committed to seeing, seeing God use them. They're growing. They're learning. And you know what, Alan? Some who are, who are just, uh, just babes in the beginning part of the year, they're, they're, they're growing and they're maturing. And, and now they, they have the desire to go out and disciple others and reproduce their life. I hope that's true. I look forward to talking to Russ come June. Are you committed to that? Is a personal vision for your life one of reproducing your life and others and allowing, if this is your case, other people to reproduce their life, Christ's life, in you? Let's pray. Father, I know that during a a time like this, all the chapel messages, all the input from pastors and teachers and youth leaders and so on, you are building conviction in the minds of my brothers and sisters. They're making many decisions regarding uh, their mission, their place of commitment, their own understanding of the ministry and service, and how I pray that you would take these last three days and just penetrate their hearts and instruct them, give them a vision for their own life of how you can use one life. Pray, Father, that they would sense the responsibility to be in submission to, uh, to the leadership of, of the churches, the church that they attend. 
and to get involved and to minister their gifts and to to see the discipling process as your means of growth. Lord, may they take these things to heart and give Russ and give the staff here wisdom as they continue to counsel and direct and inspire and, and guide. What a responsibility. What an incredible privilege to be able to see lives change. And Lord, use this context of the school to inform them and to give them great content and use, of course, the, the church not only to give the instruction but place of ministry where... They can be built up and their gifts can be confirmed and their lives can grow. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Russ, it's out of print, but I have a few copies with me. Two people I know requested it, and I have several more if you're interested. Just see me afterwards.